Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 15. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for an opportunity to study your word. Please guide us into understanding what you would have for us today as we study evidence for salvation. If someone is here today and they are professing to be saved, but they've never truly trusted you from their heart, I pray that you would show them their need to be saved. And Lord, for those of us who are saved once again, I pray that you would build our faith brick by brick, line upon line of your word. That we may trust you and live a life of faith. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. We have been speaking about evidences of salvation. We have eight listed here. There are more. We will cover two or three of these today. We've covered some of these previously. I encourage you to go where you listen to podcasts for the audio recording and type in the name of our church, Sparrow Baptist Church, and you can listen to the recordings of all of the Sunday morning messages um, and It will help your faith if you do that. And obviously you can share it with others as well. As we have spoken before, um, when we look at these evidences of salvation, we need to understand that they are clusters that help us to understand something. It's like a fingerprint. It's not just one little squiggly line. It's a bunch of little squiggly lines that match up and say, this is my fingerprint. Okay, it's the same thing when you say I'm going to identify this particular tree outside or this particular fruit. Sometimes trees look very similar. Right. And so there's not just one typically identifying factor that says this is a maple tree or this is an oak tree or this is a juniper or this is a cedar or whatever it may be. Okay, there are several different factors that line up and say because of these three things or these five things or these ten things. This is this particular type of tree. The same thing is true when we talk about evidences for salvation. God gives all of these to every person who is saved. And sometimes they develop more quickly in a person's life because, as we discussed last hour, that individual has chosen to be in an environment or perhaps their parents have brought them to church And they're in an environment where they hear God's word taught. And this is very similar to where uh, we would think of watering a plant and taking care of that plant 
and nurturing that plant. Faith can grow if we put it in a good environment. At the same time, if someone truly trusts Christ as their savior, but they don't start reading the Bible, they don't have Christian friends, they don't start worshiping the Lord, they don't start going to, to a good Bible teaching church, that, that new birth is definitely inside, but it, it will take more time for it to grow and show itself. When we're talking about the new birth, oftentimes the Bible describes what that is. And we think, well, I'm not always like that. Well, that's because we have a free will and we now have two natures inside of us. When we come and we trust Christ as our savior, we have both the old nature and the new nature. As we were talking about my little baby fuchsia plant in my house, it's a hanging plant. It's under uh, our porch on our back, on our back porch, that little, uh, that little, um, Roof, it's underneath there in the shade. All the time it's in the shade. And that's the proper environment for that plant. But also it needs some water, right? And honestly, it might need more than that, but that's all we know right now. It needs shade and it needs some water. And we went away on vacation to Boston and we forgot to ask someone to water it. And so there are like two little green shoots coming off of that plant. And... It's mostly brown and kind of dead, but there's still a little bit of life in it. Okay, sometimes when somebody truly gets saved, they have all of the potential to grow because the grace is there. They've trusted Christ as their savior. The new birth is there. But they have not been in a place or they've not chosen to be in that place or perhaps they've never been taught to read their Bible, to pray, to have fellowship with other Christians, to worship the Lord, and so on and so forth. The first thing that we can see here, and this is just a little quick review, evidence of salvation, you've confessed Christ for yourself. We are not going to heaven because our parents are Christians. It is a personal faith in Jesus Christ. You have to do it for yourself. It is a choice. We have to make that choice. The Bible says in Romans 10 and 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, you, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Talking to that individual. You have to make this choice. It's not because I was, some people think, well, I'm in a, in a Christian country, which isn't necessarily true anymore, but it's more Christian than other countries that are definitely not Christian. I'm in a Christian country, so I'm a Christian and I'm going to heaven. That's not true. I'm in a Christian family or I'm in a, a church going family and so on and so forth. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter three, ye must be born again. You, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. We have to make that choice to trust Christ for ourselves. So first of all, have I confessed Christ for myself? If I am unwilling to say that I am saved or I'm unwilling to confess Christ, that is a really good indication, really good evidence that I am not a Christian. The Bible says in 1 John 4 and verse 2, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. 
Verse three, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of antichrist wherever you have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. Some people want to say, well, I believe in Jesus, but I also believe in all of the other religions and they have equal faith in all of the religions. So let's just include him into what we believe. But the Bible says in Acts 4 and verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Confessing Christ means I am confessing only Jesus Christ. I am trusting only in him. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 12, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We can see our verse up here, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We can quote these verses, many of us. For by grace are you saved through faith. Grace is undeserved favor. It's not something that I have earned. It's something that Jesus has earned with his sacrifice on the cross. And he's the only one that, have, that could have done it. He's the only one that could have died for our sin. The Bible says he is our propitiation. He himself appeased God, God's justice. We live in a country where we strive for justice. That's why many people flee to Canada because perhaps they're from a place where justice is broken. They can't trust the justice system. It's very corrupt. There's something inside a human being that hates when injustice occurs. Well, God is the judge of all of the earth and he must be just. He cannot show favorites. He cannot show favoritism where he can say, well, I like you, but I don't really like them. So they're going to heaven and you're not. That God is, is not like that whatsoever. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everybody gets saved the same way. The apostle Paul got saved the same way. The apostle Peter got saved the same way. I got saved the same way. It's through grace. It's not through something that we have done. It's through what Jesus did on the cross. But the Bible also says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all equally guilty before God. We will all stand before God and give an account of what we have done in our body, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Amen. Amen. We will stand and give an account. We, the, the, our society wants to make it out almost as if there are, there are no lines. We can behave as an animal would behave. It's, it's interesting when you watch the nature channel and you watch animals. It, if, if you're bigger and stronger and another animal has something, you take it. Right? Isn't that true? And if they try to fight, you kill them. Animals don't have a conscience. It's interesting. Uh, we have a puppy dog. There's so many lessons that he teaches us, right? You know, when he's a, when he's a puppy, you, you have to train him. And what's really interesting is during kids camp, uh, we were super busy. And uh, that first Monday, he had, our dog had uh, some kind of upset 
stomach thing. I don't know if he ate something he shouldn't have eaten. Typically, he's great. But that first day, Monday, I came home at like maybe 1 o'clock, 12 o'clock, whatever it was, and went in there, and he had messed on, on the floor. And I went and cleaned it up, and I could see that he'd been sick, like he was, like he was sick. Right? You can tell. So I cleaned it up. So I realized, well, one, I was probably later than I should have been. Two, he was sick, and he couldn't hold it, so to speak, for me to get home. And so when I was cleaning it up, I cleaned it up, and then I came and went to the washroom and disposed of it. And he was kind of standing outside the door of the washroom and like little doggies do, they kind of like their ears are droopy and their tails tucked in, you know how they do, right? And he's kind of looking at me, <laughs> he's like up, like, like this. And I petted him, it's okay, it's okay. He, it looks as if he's expressing guilt, but that's only because in the past we've trained him, you don't mess in the house. He's remembering. So what's the difference with the human being? The human being has a conscience that tells them that something is wrong before they ever were trained that it's wrong. Isn't it interesting that all across this world, it is wrong to commit murder? It's just something we're naturally born with knowing that's not okay. And while in some cultures, lying may be very free, in other cultures, lying is typically socially really a bad thing, But in our heart, we know that it's wrong. The Bible says that the law of God is written on our heart. It says that in Romans chapter number two. We know right from wrong because we have a conscience. Listen, friends, we are not the same as an animal. We will be held accountable for what we do. We will be held accountable. And all of the bad things that human beings have done in deed and in thought, in word, All of that sin was placed upon Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. He was perfect, sinless. He wasn't dying for his own sin. He was dying for our sin. And not for our sin, but for the sin of the whole world, the Bible teaches us. He took upon us his sin. And he paid for it on the cross. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus died. But here's the thing, because he was pure and innocent and holy, he'd never done a sin before. He was God's perfect lamb. He was God's perfect sacrifice, meaning all of the sin of the world could be placed upon him. And it could appease that justice of God. It could be paid for. And then he rose victorious over that sin and over death. The wages of sin is death. He took the sin, he died, but because he was pure and the sin didn't stick to him per se, it didn't kill him and make him continually dead, right? He rose up from the dead, proving that he was the son of God, that he was the pure, innocent son of God, morally pure, completely pure. And he has victory over that sin. He has victory over death. He has victory over this world. And when we confess Christ, when we trust Christ as our Savior, we are trusting what he did 
2,000 years ago on the cross. That's what we're doing. We're saying, I am not trusting in what I have done. I'm trusting in what he did back then. What he did is sufficient. Now, here's the strange thing. So the Bible says in 1 John, or 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 2, he is the propitiation, not for our sins, or sorry, for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is that appeasement. He appeased God. He paid for all of the sin of the whole world. And here's the strange thing is that we can say, well, he's the propitiation. He appeased God, but somehow he doesn't appease me. I still have to pay for my sin by being a good person. I still have to pay for my sin by by being baptized or being a church member. I still have to try and be a good person because what Jesus did is not quite enough. How can it be enough for God, but it's not enough for us? Becoming a Christian, trusting in Christ is agreeing with God that what Jesus did on the cross is enough. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a savior. And that's what it means to be a Christian. And when we're talking about confessing Christ as our savior, we're saying the same as what God is saying about what Jesus said. And then we are coming to completely trust in Christ as our savior. Someone who's not a Christian, someone who is not, has not been born again, um, does not have this inside of them. They do not have that evidence of salvation. First evidence comes out of your mouth. You've confessed Christ because of something that you've done in your heart. The second one, you have a willingness to be baptized. We talked talked about that before. One of the evidences of the new birth is that we're willing to follow him. He saved us. And we have no willingness to follow him. That's just simply not the truth. Number three, the spirit of God bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. Romans 8 and verse number 16. Let me read that for you quickly. It says the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It is the voice of God inside yourself that tells you that you are a child of God. Let me, let me say something, and I'll repeat this several times. All of us generally experience doubts from time to time about our salvation. Okay? Satan, the enemy, will speak to our mind. God will speak to our heart. Let me say that again. When doubts come to us, It will be as Satan did in Genesis chapter three when he tempted Eve and said, has God said? He'll try to trick you in your mind, in your thinking. Sometimes he'll try to trick your feelings. But it always starts in the mind. That's Satan. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He will want to go and return to something that you've done or a thought that you've had or a failure in the past. Say, how can you possibly be a Christian? Look at this evidence. But what does the Bible say? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, speaking of Satan. Amen. Praise God. God will always give you assurance in your heart. God speaks to our heart. It is the spirit that bears witness with our spirit that we are a child of God. 
How frustrating is it to try to connect to the internet and you're tapping on your tablet or on your phone and you see the signal is there somewhere. (laughs) It comes up and you tap on it. You tap on it. You tap on it. This happened to my tablet last week. And I couldn't connect. So then I powered down and rebooted the tablet and all of a sudden now it connected easily. We are not always as connected to God as we should be. But my friends, if you are saved, the potential is there. This, listen, this has an ability to connect to to Wi-Fi. This does not. This has potential. This does not. And sometimes we as Christians, we can become very confused because we haven't been in our Bibles. We haven't been to church. We haven't worshiped the Lord. We haven't prayed. But the spirit's inside and it wants to connect. It want, it bears witness with your spirit. You are a child of God, but sometimes we don't quite get it because we're not close to the word of God. We're not close to his people. We're kind of far away from him. But an unsaved person doesn't have the capacity. Let's look at a few more. We'll just leave it on that one for now. We're going back to our verses that we just read here in Matthew chapter number seven. Before we go there, let's look at let's look at this verse. It is in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. Let's look at that. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse number 14. First Corinthians 2 and verse number 14. It says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, is describing someone who is not saved. Okay? It's describing someone who is not saved. The natural man, an unsaved person, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Our spirits are dead when we are first born into this world. And until we trust Christ, that spirit has not been brought to life where we can now communicate with God. Verse 15, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no one. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. We need to realize that explanations that lost people give us of spiritual truth are incorrect. They cannot know the things of God. They don't understand them. But we have the spirit of God inside of us and he bears witness with our spirit that we are a child of God. Do you have that? Do you have that? This, is, this, 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 this message is, 
is a, is, a, is a question. We're speaking truth and then we're asking the question. Do you have something inside of you that says, yes, I'm saved? Now, again, it's not me telling myself. It's God telling me. Another name for the Holy Spirit is the comforter. The comforter. He comforts us that we are a child of God, that we belong to him. The word of God will either, will either continually comfort you that you belong to Christ or it will build the doubt because you're not truly saved. The doubts will get heavier and heavier, and then you will become convinced, I'm not saved, I've never been saved. The word of God will do that for us. Okay. Let's look at Matthew 7 and verse number 7, where we begin, I'm sorry, Matthew 7 and verse 15. What about this one? This is on our list here. Let's look at the list. This, this would be found on number four if you, if, you, if, you put, if you put these eight points down. There is long-term fruit. There is long-term, there is evidence. There will be evidence that we are truly born again. I remember a pastor saying one time, tell me five things in your life that have changed since you've trusted Christ. There ought to be Something. For us to say that we are alive and have been born again and for there to be no evidence of that is not biblical. Is there any evidence over time that the new birth exists in that heart? Jesus describes here in Matthew 7 and verse number 15, he warns us, beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing. So false prophets coming to us in sheep's clothing, meaning that they're acting like that they're believers. We'll talk about this in just a moment and describe that in further detail. But inwardly, they are ravening wolves. They are starving wolves. That word means like they're so hungry. The word ravening almost means like that they're, they're almost like their mind is kind of almost like demented. They're so hungry, Right? Meaning, meaning what? It means that in this specific context, these false teachers are just simply looking to take advantage of Christians, but they're not truly Christians themselves. Verse 16, ye shall know them by their fruits. He's saying there is going to be evidence that, there are, that these are false teachers. And there is going to be evidence that someone is truly saved. Do men gather, gather grapes of thorns? Now, that, that's a very simple statement, but it's true, of course, in this particular context. They had many vineyards around. They would go at certain times of the year, pick the grapes, right? And then also it talks about um, a corrupt tree. Uh, sorry, go back up. It says, or figs of thistles, right? So you get apples from an apple tree. You get figs from a fig tree and so on and so forth. He's trying to say that if someone is a false teacher, not a believer in Jesus Christ, there will be evidence that they are not. Conversely, on the other side, if someone is a true believer, there will be fruit. There will be fruit. Verse 17. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, 
but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down, cut down, and cast into the fire. Verse 20, wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Look at uh, Matthew 3 and verse number 8. This is the preaching of John the Baptist. This is, this is really pointed at the same group of people. We'll take a moment and look at one more chapter and then we'll be done uh, with, with today's message. But let's look at Matthew 3 and verse number 8. John the Baptist said this, verse number 7, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, calling them snakes, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance or equal to repentance or bring forth the fruits or show some evidence that you truly believe in Jesus Christ is what he's saying. Verse number nine, and think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. He's basically saying to them, on the outside, you may say that you believe this, but from the inside, you're still telling yourself that you are a Jewish person, a Jewish man specifically is what we're talking about here. And that because you come from Abraham, you are justified. You really and truly believe in your heart. You don't need to be saved. That pride will come out, my friend. Grace has a humbling effect on a heart. We do not stand before Jesus in the pride of our ethnicity and say, I believe in you, but I'm also going to heaven because of who I am. No. He said, if you truly believe in the coming Messiah, in Jesus Christ, there will be evidence. And in your heart, there will not be a pride that justifies itself. That, that is the very first thing. It can be found in an attitude. It can be found in the words. But like a fruit tree, it can be found in the long term. Can be found in the long term. I remember as a kid planting, planting a garden. Probably six years old, maybe seven or eight. We planted carrots. Is there anything more agonizing as a, as a child than planting a garden and waiting for the fruit or the vegetables to come? You take the little seeds in the spring, you know, you, you till up the soil, and then you get the fancy soil from the store, right? Which we didn't do, honestly. We were, we'll say frugal, right? So we went out into the woods and dug up all of that rich black soil in the trees. I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's what we did. Brought it, brought it back to our little garden, spread it out, got the little seeds from the little, little paper packet, you know, right? And we're so, because you see the photo on the front, a photo of a carrot, this little paper packet, a photo of a tomato, a photo of green beans, and so on and so forth. And you put the seeds in, you put them in the ground and you cover them up and then you get the watering can, 
right? Old school watering can, fill it up, carrying it as a little kid. Pick it up. Water's trickling out. The ground is soaked. Great. You go inside, eat supper, go to bed, wake up in the morning, 7 a.m., run outside and look in your garden. What do you see? Dirt is what you see. You see dirt. Did we do anything wrong? No, we just weren't waiting. Amen. We, we, we just had to wait longer. And we waited however many weeks it was, agonizing, to the point where you kind of forget as a kid. You're playing and whatever. And finally, it kind of catches your eye when you're walking past. If you see this little tiny baby green shoot popping up, you run to the house. Mom, can we pick the carrots? No, you have to wait. They're not ripe yet. You finally wait however long it is. And finally, we got the green light. Okay, you can pick one. And we, it was like that tall. <laughs> right? We wash off the dirt. Everybody took a little bite. Little tiny bite. Sweetest little carrot you've ever had in your life. Amazing. It's incredible. But it took time. Somebody trusts Christ the very next day. Guess what? Most likely, even though everything inside, all of the potential for them to be the most incredible Christian is there. Because they have truly received the seeds of the word of God. But for us to expect a transformation the very next day, that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. But it's in there. The same is true if somebody is professing. Listen, the same is true if somebody is pretending and professing, I know God, I know Jesus, I'm a Christian. From one day to the next, it may seem like, yeah, for sure. But according to God's word, there will eventually pop out some fruit that show this person has never truly trusted Christ as their savior. Never truly trusted Christ. Let me show you this little piece. First John 2, 19. We'll, we'll finish with this one. First John 2, 19. This is in the same theme. First John 2, 19. We have to understand that first John, much of first John is a description of the new birth. It is a description of the new birth. It's almost like kind of looking on the package of the outside of the little carrots and say, hey, this is what it's supposed to look like. All of the potential inside this little packet is right here. This is what it's going to look like if you plant it and water it and it takes time. It's going to come up. It's going to look like this or something close to like this. That's what First John is talking about. It's almost like the photo on the outside of the packet. All right. So notice what it says in First John 2 and verse number 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out 
that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Okay, back up. Let's read this once. You're going to say, that means if people don't go to church, they're probably not Christian. Let's read it carefully. And then as we discussed in our first hour, we're going to zoom out and take in a verse or two before and we'll kind of get the whole picture. All right. Notice what it says. They went out from us talking about these particular individuals. They left. They left us. It doesn't mean they missed church attendance that day. It means they completely left. Right. It says, but they were not of us. Why did they leave? Because they weren't really one of us is what it's saying. It means that the long term fruit of whether or not they were truly saved came out. You cannot force somebody to come to church long-term who is not truly a a, a Christian. It just doesn't work. There's no desire for them to be here. Kids can grow up in church if they've never been born again. Good luck. There is a difference between someone who is, has chosen a bad path in their life and they're, and they're struggling between their fleshly desires, but they're, listen, there is something inside of them that wants to be connected with God and with God's people. If someone is not truly saved, there is no desire whatsoever to be in church. They hate it. There's no appetite. There is no receptivity They don't want to be there. They don't like Christians. Hey, they don't want to be like Christians. They don't want to talk the way they talk. They don't want to sing the way they sing. They don't want to dress the way they dress. They don't want to restrict their activities the way they restrict their activities. I want to watch everything everybody's watching. I want to do what everybody's doing. Listen, somebody who is not saved has a lust and a deep-seated hunger for the world. I want to experience everything that this world has to offer. And not the good, innocent things, like traveling to a new country and seeing beautiful landscapes and trying new food, praise God. The dark things, the evil things, I want to make as much money as possible, have as much pleasure as possible, do everything that I can, and it becomes their bucket list. Their plans for their their life don't involve God at all. Why would I want to go to church? What a waste of time. But for a Christian... When they come, God speaks to our heart. We have fellowship with God. We have fellowship with other believers. Listen, there is a part of a Christian. Sometimes we fight it because we do have the flesh. But there is inside of us something that says, I want to connect to other Christians. I want to connect to Christians my age. I want to connect to Christians that look like me. I want to connect to Christians that are older than me that don't look like me. I want to connect to all Christians. Hey, when I travel to another country, I'm going to drop into a church because I want to connect to Christians there too. There's something inside of us. Hey, when when I'm at church, this is my tribe. You are my people. I belong here. 
Something inside of me says, I belong in this place right here because you are like me and I am like you. And it's not necessarily that we uh, are from the same place or that we look exactly alike or anything like that. But because we accepted the same Savior and we have the same spirit dwelling inside of our hearts I'm connected to him and you're connected to him and you're connected to him. And that allows us to connect so wonderfully with each other. Amen. It's not necessarily that we share the same hobbies or the same interests or the same likes or dislikes or the same food or anything. Jesus is the commonality. And what we're seeing here is that they went out from us because they were not of us. They weren't one of us. And it says, for if they have been of us. They would no doubt have continued with us. Notice that word continued. Notice the fruit. Notice the longevity. I made a profession of faith, went to church for a couple of weeks, never went back ever and no desire to. Guess what? According to scripture, that fruit is showing me that most probably you never got saved. You tried it for a little bit. But you never really allowed the message of the word of God. The fact that we are accountable to God one day. We are going to stand before God. And every thought, every deed is going to be open for the lost person. Nowhere to hide. That should produce a change in our heart. God, no, I don't want to stand there before God. I don't want to stand there guilty. I don't want to have to experience that moment. And then for God to justly say, he's not being mean. He's not showing favorites. He's not trying to, uh, 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 he's not this hateful, wrathful God. He is the just judge of the universe and says, you have chosen of your own free will to act in a sinful manner. You have the sin nature inside of you and you never came willingly to Christ and fully embrace all who he is for your salvation. You have not done that. And you are now going to spend eternity in a place called hell. Hell was meant to judge Satan and his angels. Hell was meant to judge sin. And because the blood of Jesus Christ never washed away our sin off of our soul, we will then go be judged with our sin in hell. And if somebody fully receives that message, that produces a change. That change is called repentance. And listen, friend, there is some internet preachers out there that say repentance is a bad thing. Jesus preached repentance. John the Baptist preached repentance. Peter preached repentance. Paul preached repentance. Are you trying to say that you are more of an authority than Jesus, Peter, James, and Paul? Are you kidding me? They're all wrong, but you're right. Who's Christ now, my friend? You're setting yourself up to be more of an authority than God is. How can you not be a teacher of a false gospel? We must repent and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. The devils believe in God and tremble, but there's no repentance. They know their fate that they will burn forever and be bound by chains of darkness. They know that's their fate. 
but they cannot and they will not. They have a spirit of rebellion against God. They know what awaits them, but they shake their fist at God and do everything they can to go into the total opposite direction. That is the spirit of Antichrist. Notice what it says, and we're done. In verse 17, the world passeth away and the lust thereof. The world, the system, all that's going on, all the good things, all the bad things, all the pretty things, all the sad things. Sounds like song lyrics. Make sure I get a cut if you make that into song lyrics. The world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever, meaning trust in Christ. Verse 18, little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Now he's talking about Antichrist, meaning those who are against Christ. Now verse 19, our verse, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest or openly show open fruit. There's the fruit hanging on the tree. It's no secret. There's the fruit. That they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Verse 20, but you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Verse 22, who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Notice the cluster and we're done. Longevity of fruit, yeah, they were in for a bit. But then when they got out, what did they do? They denied Jesus. They denied the Father. Listen, and don't think for a moment, oh, this is like Peter. Where Peter said, I don't know him. Jesus, Peter said, I don't know him. But he did not say, that is not the Christ. There is a difference. There is a difference between falling into sin and absolutely discarding your faith and saying, I don't believe in Jesus. Jesus isn't even really true. I don't even believe in God. I don't believe in any of that stuff. That person cannot possibly be saved. How can they have a new birth and deny the Lord that bought them? It's impossible. That's what it's talking about. It's not talking about someone who they fell out of church for a bit. It's talking about someone who fell out because they weren't of us. And then when they get out, now they're completely denying everything. That's what it's talking about. By the way, if you're a Christian, we should be in church. We should gather. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.